The Knicks won two games. That's right. Two straight games since the last episode of the Big Apple Buckets podcast. The first win streak of the season. We talk with New York Post Knicks beat writer Mark Berman about the job coach Mike Miller has done since taking over for David Fisdale. Also, the host of Jalen Jacoby. You can see him on ESPN's Get Up. He has the crispiest hairline in America and a former member of the Michigan Fab Five. And, lo and behold, a former Nick. NBA swingman, ESPN personality, Jalen Rose is stopping by the show. All that and more next on Big Apple Buckets with the New York Post. It is rough. It's rough out here in New York. You know, it's cold and it's not getting any warmer. Welcome to Big Apple Buckets, a New York Post, New York Knicks podcast. I'm your host, Kazim Famuide, but you can call me Kaz. Recovering from the huge Duce Blues at Barclays Center this past Friday. New episodes drop every Tuesday as we dive into everything Knicks with our team of New York Post writers and special guests. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We are joined today by our pal Mark Berman and the legendary Jalen Rose. Legendary hairline, too, by the way. Let's do it. You know, this time last week, there was a lot of things to talk about with the New York Knicks with the firing of Coach Fisdale and the return of Alfred Payton and a lot of things that were going wrong. But there's been a small, small, tiny glimmer of hope as the Knicks had their first win streak of the entire season this past West Coast road trip. Now, going into that West Coast road trip, they went two and two. They won two games. They lost two games. But for the most part, they were competitive, and a lot of that has to do with, I guess, the coaching change with Coach Mike Miller. It seems like they've been doing a lot of in-game adjustments. They've been keeping people out of foul trouble. Um, the play of Alfred Payton cannot be understated at all, man. Like, they're finally getting some good production out of that point guard position, and it's allowed players like Marcus Morris, Julius Randle, Mitchell Robinson, even uh, R.J. Barrett to really shine and do good things for this team. Um, now, granted... They are still seven and twenty-one, and uh, seven and twenty-one. Right? Would we correct on that, Jake? Six and twenty-one. Six don't, and don't twenty-one. Give them an extra oh, Those come to you in far in between. Oh, jeez, I'm not trying to lose out on the Lamella Ball sweepstakes, but <laughs> yeah, we're six and twenty-one right now, the New York Knicks. And uh, but there's there's things to take take away. But last night I talked to um, you know Mark Berman and saw his right write up on the New York Post talking about how uh, Julius Randle said that they're done taking moral victories. So even though in the per in the first uh, four or five games of the Mike Miller, uh, I guess, era, the Knicks have looked competitive out of four of those five games. And what you see differently, Kaz, is ball movement. You yeah. see the, the ball is not just stopping at one guy and getting in isolation. So Mike Miller is doing something right because yeah. you're seeing the ball consistently move. You're seeing that thing they call pick and roll. Apparently, yeah. apparently it's like a big-time play well. using the league for a while. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it's the one play that they've been using since, I don't know, the beginning of time that just still works. But it makes it more fun to watch. You want to see yeah. more guys get involved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I totally agree. Uh, big ups to uh, Alfred Payton, man. He kind of came off that groin injury that has sidelined him for 17 straight games. And uh, he's looked like he's looked like somebody who knows how to run a team. Like when the, there's so many times that I'm pulling what's left of my hair out when Julius Randle starts bringing the ball I know up. You and still the, had hair. And the, <laughs> and the great thing that Alfred does, he runs up to Julius and he says, "Give me the ball. Give me the ball. Let me 
run this thing. And and speaking of 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 running things, you know what I mean? Speaking of running things in the city. Or running people over. Or running people over. Or running into people. You know what I mean? Uh the funny thing about doing this 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 show at New York Post headquarters is that sometimes you just run into two time Super Bowl NFL champions. And uh while we were outside while we just walked in, Matthias Kunuka of the Super Bowl winning New York Giants just entered the building. So we said Matthias Come talk hoops with us, buddy, and and plug your wand. Matthias, how you doing, partner? I'm doing great, doing great, man. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you here, man. Now, I know, you know, if it was up to me, I wouldn't follow the Knicks either. But this is my job. <laughs> but you do know a lot about being in the spotlight in New York City, what it means to win in New York City, what it means to be a professional athlete with the spotlight on you each and everything, every, with every game, everything you do on and off the field. So one question I want to have to ask you is, what kind of mindset does it take to just play in New York City? Because you can see some. there's some guys on this New York Knicks team who are here for the first time and have sh- and shown th- shown out and have looked well, and other people have kind of shriveled into that spotlight. What's it like to play in New York City with all that attention on you? Well, that light is bright. You said it. A lot of guys can can handle it, and there are guys who can't. You know, you got to be able to one focus. There's so much going on in the city every day. You can find something to do, and if you don't discipline yourself, your body will break down over time. Now, when you're in the media talking about you. You got to have some thick skin. You got you to really be able to forget what people are saying and ignore the chatter and be able to go out there every week and give your best. But you got to remember, too, this is New York. These yeah. are fans. These are fans for life. Like yeah. the people in New York who follow sports, they know rosters from all the way back to the 70s. Like they will stop you on the street and tell you about their grandfather and people he loved, you yeah. know, when, when they were playing. So, you know, you got to you got to take the good with the bad and be if you're going to play out here with the big boys, you got to be able to take the criticism, too. A big story with the Knicks right now is that they fired Coach Fisdale. And, uh, you know, Coach Mike Miller, who's had some success in the G League, had some moderate success with the Knicks this past week, winning two games in a row for the first time this season. Now you're a professional athlete. You've been – you've seen it all. How much does a difference in head coaching or just any sort of coaching really make to locker room? Because sometimes, you know, us skeptical New Yorkers, we just see it as just window dressing and people trying to save their own behinds with their jobs. But you talk to other players and they could really make a difference. What has been your uh, experience when it comes to midseason coaching changes? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. I was fortunate enough not to have a coaching change while I was playing in college or in um, or in the NFL. Now, that's at the head coach level, which obviously establishes the culture. It establishes, you know, our responsibility and, and everything going all the way downhill. But when you talk about, like, just in football, losing a coordinator, that can change the, the entire um, outlook of the team. You know, if you're a guy who comes in, for me, a defensive end, if you come in and you're a speed rusher and all of a sudden your new coach comes in, he's like, we want bull rushers. We want you guys to, you know, stand in there in a four technique and, and to push the tackles back. Like, what are you going to do? You know, you got to find something else to, uh, to, you know, to contribute to the team. And I think that what where it really gets lost is at the college level. So you have guys who, you know, they're committed to a school, they get down there and the coach leaves, all of a sudden the whole system changes. That can really derail the career of somebody. So I understand it. I feel the pain. Although I never had a head coach and change, I had coordinators change while I was there and it really does change things. It seems like a lot of these players took kind of personal responsibility for Fisdale kind of losing his job. Do you guys just sort of play harder now? Or, like, what what kind of mindset do you guys go through when it seems like, oh, man, this guy that we actually like 
uh, lost his job because of us. Is there a change in attitude? Is there a change in mentality when it comes to, in your case, losing a coordinator or changing a coordinator? What was it like for you? I think that's when people's real personality comes out. You know, if you if you really love a guy, you're really out there grinding and trying to play for him to keep his job, and then he loses it, it can be deflating, you know? But you got to be able to say, okay, let's separate business from personal life and, and be able to go out there and play. Because guess what? If he can get fired, you can get fired. No one person is above the team, and everybody's going to eventually have to go. So you're being judged every single time you step on that court or on that field, and you got to be able to put a good product out there. Matthias was here during the glory days of the Knicks. I mean, the last time the Knicks yeah, were good, I, I mean, Saturday and Mellow. I yeah. mean, you were here during a great time, and Yo. you won Super Bowls. I mean, you were on top of the world here. It was fun. It was. We had a lot of fun playing, but we had a lot of fun off the field too. And you know, those guys were we're in the same circles, and we're running around, and just that's what New York sports is supposed to be like. You know, we're in the greatest city. We're in you know one of the biggest and you know capital of, of a lot of things, business and sports. So to be able to be successful here, I mean, it not only is fun, but it opens doors for you. Like there are Giants fans at high levels in every um, every arena, every sport, every um, business you could think of. So, you know, you got to be able to uh, capitalize, take advantage and understand that once they love you, you're love for life. Now, speaking of uh, opportunities and, and off the field, off the court things. I know it's 5 o'clock somewhere. You brought some of this delicious wine with you. <laughs> you got to drink a lot of that while watching this. Yeah, <laughs> speaking of somebody who's a Knicks fan, I think yeah. a lot of people who watch the Knicks this season are going to be indulging in a lot of adult beverages if you're of age. So please tell us about they this should, wine that They should over. pass them out with the season tickets, man. Here, have, have one on us. We might be the reason why you're drinking. But, um, yeah, so um, five years ago I started a company for Wandering Wines. You can go online to wanderingwines.com, and you can order the wine from there. Um, but we're primarily on-premise. A lot of our restaurants right now are in Florida. We're looking to expand. We have 22 different varietals under four brands. So we have Wandering Wines Reserves and Grand Reserves. We have Peaks and Valleys, which are all organic and sustainably farmed. We have Keen, which houses a sparkling rosé, a rosé. And uh, then we have Lost Fine, which is kind of like, you know, the more the wine for everybody. Um, people ask me, you know, how can we help? You know, go one of our most notable clients and somebody we're working really close with right now is Capital Grill. So, you know, they're not in every Capital Grill, but you can go in and request us, put us on the, they're already, we're on a, already on the vendor list and, you know, they can bring us in and you can try, uh, try some of our Carmenere. Can we debunk the myth that Rosé makes me like a basic white girl? <laughs> Rosé is great for all parties involved. Listen, somebody's drinking it. In an in a industry where wine sales were down across the board, Rosé sales went up 8%. And I don't nice. know what that means. Can we get but... the demographic? Was there, was there any single white men in New York City? <laughs> it, was all, it was all you. <laughs> Listen, it's 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 an honor having you in here as always. Uh, I w I'm stealing some of your wine. Thank you for bringing some for me. <laughs> I got you. And I'm glad you brought enough for everybody in the room. <laughs> uh, Matthias, where can we follow you on Instagram, Twitter, socials, all that? So I'm I'm more active on Instagram. It's a lot just my kids. Matthias underscore Kiwanuka. I think there might be a 94 at the end of it. Um, and, uh, and that's pretty much it. Wandering Wines is the Wandering Wines um, uh, for our uh, Instagram and. You know, just, you know, check it out. Check out the website and uh, hit us up. Kaz, you love when people come by that bring alcohol. It's oh, like, for sure. <laughs> especially we've got the 6 and 21 team. It's like, it's the best kind of person to run into. <laughs> Matthias, man, you said it best. When you win in New York City, you're remembered forever. You're a legend forever. And, you know, we, we love you. We're a big fan of you, and obviously, thank you for coming by. You can stop by anytime, man. Talk with us, talk whatever with us, bring some wine. It'll I be will. a good time here. I buddy. will. I appreciate it, man. Of it's course. Fun. Thank you, bro.
joining us as we do each and every week on Big Apple Buckets is the legendary Mark Berman, the 20-year senior writer of the New York Knicks. Mark, how you doing, man? Hey, doing great. Uh, coming back from a long West Coast trip, but uh, it was an enjoyable training. Once. A lot better than I expected. Yeah, it was a, it was a, it was an up and down week, but given all the things I've considered throughout this past season, I think this West Coast trip, I guess, was a moderate success. So, first question I want to ask you is: five games into the Mike Miller era, uh, what do you see that's been a, a, a difference as far as uh, the philosophies are concerned? Yeah, there's a lot of differences. They're not getting blown out for the most part. I mean, they were two and two on the trip, which for the Knicks is terrific, uh, and especially coming off. Those final two games when they were blown out by 81 points. So, Miller, even uh, in the final game against Denver, terrible first half. They looked lethargic on uh, defense. They blamed the altitude. But Miller, I'm told, made some halftime adjustments on the coverages. He really uh, told them, we've got to play gritty. We're not playing gritty. And they came out of the second half, took a five point lead. I'm midway through the fourth quarter, and uh, they were up uh, by two with 3.50 left. But then they went stone cold, and Denver's talent shone through. But Fisdale would not have gotten them back in that game, and that's the difference. Miller made adjustments. We're hearing that Fisdale did not make enough adjustments in game, and that's why he's been Los Angeles right now walking his dog. Oh, man. Cold-blooded, Mark Berman. That's an Instagram photo that her wife, his wife, posted. I'm just quoting Instagram. You're just, you're just doing what the journalist does, just reporting the facts, Mark. Just reporting the exactly. facts. <laughs> so um, you said it. I mean, it seems like uh, Coach Miller has uh, improved a lot as far as making in-game decisions, halftime adjustments. I know out of timeouts, they've looked worlds better as far as, like, executing in, in games. In your own personal opinion, is it more of an effort thing, or are these guys just – is it just new philosophies and just new thoughts as, as far as, like, having a, a different voice at the head of the helm? I mean, listen, they love Fisdale. They love his personality. He connected with the players. But I really think it's, it's chess. It's these technical changes that Miller is doing and better rotations, sticking with Alfred Payton, uh, you know, for longer stretches. In, in Fisdale's defense, he did have Payton for 17 straight games, and Payton is playing very well. And his first game back was against Denver, you know, 10 days ago, and Payton was rusty, and the Knicks got blown out by 37 points. Maybe things would have changed if Fisdale had a real point guard in Payton, who was playing well defensively. You know, he moves the ball, he gets in the paint, he's hitting some shots. He's playing clutch. So maybe it would have been different, but I'm hearing that there's other things going on with Miller that Fisdale was not doing, including making changes uh, when things aren't working and sticking to what's uh, going right. Fisdale would maybe they'd have a hot hand and then he'd take the player out. But, but Miller is showing better instincts in the game. Now, uh, you said they make a lot of changes, and one of those changes, in addition to the great play of Alfred Payton, 
has been Mitchell Robinson staying out of foul trouble. And maybe that is just him being more disciplined. Maybe that has to do with the, the defensive rotations by Coach Miller. What have you seen in this West Coast trip that has made uh, Mitchell Robinson's play uh, better? Because when he's in the game, the Knicks are a vastly different team. And, uh, you know, he's, he's starting to show that promise that people thought he had coming into the season. I don't know if it's Miller or, you know, the assistant that went into it. There's an assistant coach, Pat Sullivan, who works with him tirelessly uh, before games. He's shooting, you know, 40 minutes worth of jump shots. And he's also a defensive guy, Pat Sullivan. So they definitely are in his ear more. But I really feel Fisdale made that an emphasis. But it never got through to Mitchell. And maybe Mitchell was just evolving, understanding what is being uh, allowed and what isn't. And maybe it would have happened on the first tail. We'll never know. But there's no doubt that Mitchell was playing very well. Also helped by Alfred Tatum. A beautiful lob last night on the fast break uh, from inside half court. It was a sensational play. Uh, Alfred is getting guys involved. And Mitchell is benefiting and playing with more confidence. So is it is it Miller or is it just you know, Mitchell and, you know, Mitchell and Alfred are both from Laurel Hoops, talked about the 504 connection. Uh, so I, I don't want to pin Mitchell's foul trouble solely on Fisdale, but it's definitely been a big boost to the Knicks. All right, Mark Berman, I know you got a flight to catch. Thank you so much. Uh, get back safe from that West Coast trip, buddy. All right, thanks so much, Kaz. Take it easy. That's going crazy. <laughs> Kaz, I spoke with Adam Sandler and Kevin Garnett at a roundtable for the Uncut Gems movie, which is in limited theaters now and comes out nationwide on Christmas in a movie that will get Adam Sandler likely his first Oscar nomination. And I asked Adam Sandler about meeting Kevin Garnett and being a Knicks fan, did he hate KG when he first met him? And he told me the story of when he met KG, and it involves surfing. Did you hate KG going into the movie, too, as a Knicks fan? Boy, swear to God, the <laughs> truth about KG, and you probably don't remember. We were in, in out at the beach one time. I was eating breakfast with my family, and you were with your sister. Yep. And we talked. I met KG there. <laughs> I loved KG. I actually went to, to uh, uh, Celtic game and saw him live uh, against the Lakers, and then I also went to that All-Star game with Jordan's last all-star game. Jesus Christ. Anyways, me and Kenji talked for a few minutes and you were discussing, you, you go, do you surf? And I go, a little bit. You go, would you take me out surfing? And, and you, you were thinking of surfing that day, Yes. Right? Yes. And I saw the picture of that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and, and then I remember when you left, I was going, Oh my God, uh, imagine if I died of how badly everyone would want to break my neck. And, uh, and, but I, 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 after I met him, I started, it's, it's psychotic, but sometimes you meet guys uh, that you become kind of uh, friends with or connected with, and all of a sudden, even though they're playing against your team, whatever, yeah, part of your head is going off. I'm kind of pulling for him right now. <laughs> Anyways, that's how it. Kevin Garnett spoke about when he did go to Boston and the preconceived notions about some of the culture that there was in Boston and how he dealt with it and how fans truly embraced him. I mess around. I'm very serious. I want to be on point. So I'm very um, OCD when it comes to perfecting something and just just going over, scoring over. I embraced it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I, didn't I, I, come, I come from the South, so, you know, I'm used to racism, I'm used to, you know, interacting with it, I'm, I had, I was comfortable with being able to exchange in it, 
to control it. And uh, when I got to Boston, it was a different feel. People wasn't racist towards me. They were, oh, sh the yeah. ticket. Can I get a picture, Boston? <laughs> Everybody in Boston takes pictures like this. <laughs> Black, white, green, purple, it didn't matter. Yo, Everybody was out in, in, in Boston. Everybody was happy. Everybody wanted to talk the game. You had to stop and talk. It was basketball, so it was cool. So to show my transparency, how far somebody take the picture again like this, yeah. they, 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 they cleaned it. Then they saw me running through the rope and docked on the floor and give them up. And that's when they, you're like, God, you give everything there, they give it right back to you. The creators of the movie, Josh and Benny Safdie, were at the round table, and they talked about casting Kevin Garnett and how the original role was supposed to go out to... Amari Stoudemire. It started with Amari, actually. We, we wrote the, we started this movie in 2010, started a 10-year process. Started with Amari, uh, we built, the, we wrote the script around his own personality. Uh, actually, I did like, at one point, it was like a Shabbat dinner that I made. <laughs> well, think about it, think about it. The movie's about the Ethiopian Jewish tribe, and you can imagine right. his attraction to the Opal. Uh, and, then, uh, and then at some point, our agents were like, no, you gotta cast up the movie a little bit, you should go for Kobe. And I was like, well, this isn't just like, you can't just like rewrite, you can't just like do a find and replace in the script. So we spent two weeks rewriting it for Kobe. And if that became more, we were going to center it around his uh, Garden 60-point game. And it was going to be more about like the youth elixir, right? Howard was the man back in the late 90s, early aughts. Kobe was going to be the man again with this opal, and it was going to be kind of about that. And then uh, WME told us after I literally was slaving away on the script, uh, for like two weeks, they go, because they told us Kobe was interested in acting, and they say, actually, Kobe's not interested in acting. We're interested in directing. <laughs> In keeping up tradition, we're getting uh, former Knicks on the show, surprisingly. Our next guest, you can follow him on Twitter, at Jalen Rose. He's the host of Jalen and Jacoby on ESPN2. You can catch him on Get Up. You can catch him this Christmas on the ESPN Countdown show on Christmas Day, doing analysis all day long. He's a best-selling author, and he is the owner of the sharpest hairline in the NBA, my man Jalen Rose. How you doing, fam? <laughs> Thanks for the love. I appreciate the shout-out. Thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. Now let's get into it. Obviously, uh, welcome to Big Apple Buckets, a New York Knicks podcast with the Post. Uh, it's It's been a trying, trying season for the New York Knicks. And, you know, you've been one of the guys on, you know, as, a, as an analyst, as a spectator, as a fan of the game that has always believed that, you know, the Knicks – uh, need to be good, you know what I'm saying, for to, to, to carry relevance in the NBA. It's better for the league when the Knicks are good. Obviously, they have not been good this season. Uh, with the coaching changes and the player roster moving, what has been the biggest uh, thing that stood out to you as far as the Knicks goes? So a few things. The landscape of the NBA changes like dog years. I joke about that, but it's really true. And all of a sudden, if you're going in here, you're going to put the Pelicans on a lot of national televised games, not realizing that Zion hasn't played and he might not play this year. You put the Golden State Warriors on, they made five straight NBA finals. Yes, they lost KD, but Clay was injured, and then Steph breaks his hand, and then all of a sudden, you know, they're a lottery bound team. You want the large markets to do so very well. Los Angeles has two of the not only top teams, but four of the top players, and clearly LeBron, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, and Paul George. But 
a lot of East Coasters are asleep when those teams play. So now you look to the East to rejuvenate some of that enthusiasm that you hope to get from, from that from that from that audience. And so the Celtics, even though they like lost Kyrie, I feel like have what it takes to be the number two seed in the conference. Joel Embiid is going to miss some games just for management and his injury history. But I believe the Philadelphia 76ers have a terrific tandem, and he and Ben Simmons and also Tobias Harris. And then, last but not least, everybody like, what's up, New York? What y'all going to do? What y'all going to do? All right. Y'all got KD. Kyrie's not playing right now due to injury. So the Nets don't have the intrigue you thought they would have. And then, obviously, the Nets, the Knicks have already fired their coach um, at this point in the season. I saw James Dolan at the Terrence Crawford fight. I was going to go over there and say hi to him and give him a hug at the same time, but I just didn't get the opportunity to. But uh, it has been a trying time so much so. I also saw Tracy Morgan, and he wasn't happy. He was not happy about his move. He was not happy. There's nobody happy, Jalen. There's nobody happy about these Knicks I'm like, right I now. didn't do nothing, Tracy. He's like, I didn't do it. Like, I'm <laughs> sorry. I didn't do it. He was mad. He got his weight spinning in, like, three or four different directions. I'm like, but it wasn't me. It wasn't me. So, I mean, I, I understand how Knicks fans should be disappointed by their team and upset that they're lottery bound again. Now, Jalen, you're, you're – more than uh, an analyst, you are a, a cultural icon when it comes to basketball, as being part of the Fab Five, being part of some legendary basketball teams. Um, what the, What is it about – I know we spoke about it briefly, but just kind of expand upon, you know, granted the Knicks always get headlines, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent. They always get headlines, but you just broke it down why analytically it's better for the league – to have a good team in New York. All the best players on the West Coast, a lot of uh, the intriguing teams and players are on teams that aren't even playing when people are awake or most of America is awake. So just um, if you were a GM or if you were a president of basketball operations, what is the first thing that you do with your magical wand to fix a team that needs uh, that a league needs for it to be uh, uh, good, I guess? So a few things. Um, it's important that when you hire successful people at their job, that they feel like you give them full autonomy to do their best and live with the results. And whether it was Phil Jackson, who got a $65 million contract after the fans were threatening to protest the ownership of Dolan, there was still something that was a common denominator, and that was Steve Mills who represents an extension of James Dolan, whether he talks about being present or not. So the first thing I would say is whether it's Scott Perry or whoever's in that position, filtering down to the coach, you got to give that person that you hired an opportunity to actually do their job and live with the results. I'm a Detroit Lions fan, and we're terrible at football. We've only won one playoff game in 60 years. But when I watch the Dallas Cowboys, the one thing that's a constant is Jerry Jones at the microphone. And when somebody else, like a Jimmy Johnson, who won two Super Bowls, gets any credit, they're still not in the ring of honor. So that's what I see with the Knicks. That power structure would have to change. I don't care if it's Masai Ujiri 
from Toronto. I don't care if it's Bob Mars from the Golden State Warriors. If you're going to bring in a terrific coach along with a great GM, you got to allow them to feel like they're doing their job. Think about it. Steve Kerr played for Phil Jackson and turned down the job, and they gave it to Derek Fisher because he saw that that power structure wasn't lining up the way I'm talking about. Now, you said the power structure, and, and you being just a connected guy in the NBA as well, Players see this too, right? Like they have to see, you know, the mess that's going on, and just like I'm, I'm steering completely clear from this. Am I correct in assuming that? Yes. However, um, it takes a couple of great players to find to change that dynamic. And regardless of what's said after the fact, and I know it's easy to throw shade once you sign with the Nets, but Kevin Durant did consider the Knicks, and had he not gotten injured. I believe he would have been the lead recruiter whether he was successful or not to try to bring Kyrie Irving. Maybe they end up still going to the net, but that was something that was looming. Once he got injured, Kyrie became the lead recruiter, and he always wanted the net. Think about it. We went on both of those guys were going to lead their current team. We knew Kyrie was leaving Boston. And we knew that KD was even a warrior. So they were going to join up in New York City. What team was still to be figured out? And I don't believe the ownership structure played as much part of it as KD getting injured. So, Jalen, is it time that the Knicks fire uh, Steve Mills? I don't think he can be fired because he's an extension of Dolan. That's, that's, what, that's, my, that's what I mean. Um, while... Dolan has acknowledged that he's not going to be as hands-on as he once was. And clearly the fans were unhappy when they felt like he was hands-on, even so much to take the local games away from the fans to be able to watch them on cable. He doesn't have to be there because Steve Mills is that extension. As someone who played here and you know a bit about Dolan, do you think the criticism he gets is unfair or is it warranted? Criticisms of owners can be over and underrated, but however, organizations do win championships. And I am disturbed when I see footage of Charles Oakley being thrown out of the garden, literally. Um, it, when you're not successful, you start to hear the banter. And that's clearly gotten to him to the point where when people heckle him or yell things at him, He's not happy about it and seems to want to act on it. But usually what turns around your fans is their, the team's record and the dynamics that they're seeing playing out on the floor. New York has some of the most knowledgeable fans in any sport, having a chance to play here, having a chance to play against the Knicks when I was a member of the Pacers and we had our battles for those years. I could be the only opposing team and walk down the street or go get in the cab, they're booing me like I'm playing the game. Like, they're, they're, they're really smart. They're really passionate. They're like, we got love for you, but uh, you ain't on our squad. And some of the best teams playing against Ewing and Mason and Oakley and Freewill and Allen Houston and John Stark, Charlie Ward, but they were led by Jeff Van Gundy, who had the autonomy to be a decision maker. Since that chain of command was lost, even with 
Pat Riley. That was one of the reasons why he left. Until that happens, I think a lot of players, but more importantly, the fans are going to be unhappy overall until they see success in the out on the floor. Now, Jalen, uh, you're doing analysis for the NBA countdown on ESPN this Christmas. It's uh, the unofficial start to the real NBA season where games, it feels like we knew who teams are, we knew what their identities are, and uh, there are a lot of intriguing matchups when it comes to that Christmas Day game. What's the most intriguing matchup to you um, as far as uh, the NBA on Christmas is concerned? Oh, that's easy. That's easy money. That's easy. I would say Lakers and Clippers. No doubt about it. Because you got the reigning finals MVP and Kawhi Leonard, who went to Toronto and in one year helped lead them to a championship. Playing with Paul George, who was top three in the MVP conversation. And the Clippers made the playoffs without both of those guys. And you have the depth of Lou Williams and Montreal Terrell productivity coming off the bench. And then for the Lakers, a LeBron that hadn't played meaningful basketball since April, fresh and rejuvenated, leading the league in assists, added Anthony Davis, the only pair averaging over 25 points, grabbed Danny Green from Toronto. Avery Bradley's a lockdown defender. Dwight Howard rejuvenated himself. That That's going to be great theater, watching those two teams go at it. The problem, again, for the league, and we kind of mentioned this earlier, there's a chance that the two best teams in the West may not actually face off in the conference finals. Why? Low management for Kawhi Leonard. And I noticed the teams have found ways to try to win those games when Kawhi is out for the Clippers or when the Sixers sit out Joel Embiid. So Celtics, in my opinion, have had a two-seed in the East, and the Clippers will not have the two-seed in the West because of arresting um, for the marathon of the regular season. Now, Jalen, I gotta before you get out of here, I gotta ask you one last question. As a man holding on to de- for dear life with his hairline, Slam recently put out a Instagram post that went viral about <laughs> who has the best hairline in the NBA, and people from LeBron James to to Lonzo Ball all commented and said Jalen Rose, without a doubt, the sharpest hairline in the league. Tell me your secrets. We must know how you keep that thing, keep the corners crispy and everything in between. Please let us know what your secrets are. So the first thing is genetic. I have nothing to do with it growing. I have nothing to do with it decides to fall out. So I, I thank my mom, Jeannie Rose, who created the name Jalen, and there's so many Jalens now walking the face of the earth. And my biological father, Jimmy Walker, who had his hairline up until his untimely demise. I'll just say this. I appreciated being on a list with multiple players that I'm 20, 25 years older than. That's what I appreciated. And also uh, the, the fans' consistency. Like, unlike a player, or unlike some of the media personalities that were listed, I'm literally on television doing two shows Monday through Friday. And I've been doing this for so very long, trying to keep a fresh cut, understanding that I was on the big stage that people, I think, not only appreciate the cut, but they appreciate the consistency of somebody that's on every day. So it's like, for other people, it's like, oh, he got a fresh cut. For me, it's like, oh, I've never seen him without a fresh cut. 
So I think that's what it was all about, and I appreciated the love. Cultural icon, Fab Five member, analyst for ESPN. You can catch him this Christmas Day, breaking down each and every Christmas game on ESPN. And you can catch him on Jalen Jacoby on ESPN, too. Jalen Rose, everybody, with Big Apple Buckets. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate the love. And for the fans, I will be having the barber up at 5 a.m. on Christmas <laughs> to make sure I'm crisp. I will be wearing Christmas colors, a little green, a little red, a little white, trying to get the people what they want. You guys' podcast is killing it. I appreciate it. Don't hesitate to reach out. Yes, sir. Give the people what they want, as always, man. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. I spoke with former Nick Jerome, the junkyard dog, Williams, at the Top Spin charity event. They do a terrific job there at Top Spin, so make sure you donate. And JYD kept it pretty honest about watching the Knicks right now. It is rough. It's rough out here in New York. You know, it's cold and it's not getting any warmer. The junkyard dog also spoke about the firing of coach David Fisdale and what a coaching change means in season. Well, you never know, you know, whether or not it's the right time or what have you. That's that, that you know, that goes up to the GMs and the president, uh, Steve Mills. But at the end of the day, the way I look at it is, you know, the team wasn't performing. So a lot of times when that happens, it doesn't really have to do with the coach. You know, it could be a lot of things. You know, the free agents market didn't didn't come the way they wanted to, but they went after a lot of the top guys, and unfortunately they didn't get them. So, you know, it's all about building for the future. I think R.J. Barrett is uh, the future, and they have some, you know, he's a starter, some good pieces. So I think, you know, you just got to be patient. I know we've been saying that for a long time, but it is what it is, and, and when the – when the market only bears, you know, what it bears in terms of players wanting to come and play, it makes it tough to win in New York. JYD also shed light on the future of the Knicks and something important, keeping draft picks. Hey, it all comes down to getting talent. Talent is the key in, uh, in any market. They had a top draft pick. I think they made a good choice. You got to make sure that when you take, when you get those good picks, keeping them here, making sure they stay. That's how you build. Like, you know, they, we've seen it done in other markets. You got to be able to do the same thing here. And that's a wrap for this episode of Big Apple Buckets, our New York Knicks podcast for the New York Post. Thanks to our producer, Jake Brown, for making it happen. Also for getting those great interview cuts from the Uncut Gems release with Kevin Garnett and Adam Sandler and the Junkyard Dog, JYD, Jerome Williams. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find more Knicks news by signing up for our daily NY Post sports newsletter and by visiting nypost.com. We'll be back next Tuesday talking more Knicks basketball, and we will see you then. Peace.